And I'm Tiff, and we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 34. Five. 35. Welcome to episode 35. Yes, part two. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Yes, how are you? How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm about to go out of town this week, so I know. I'm pretty excited. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary this Woo! week. Very nice. Thanks. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> um, well, do we have any business? No, I, I don't, don't think so. I did notice that Tulsa Spirit Tours, which we've talked about mm. a lot, they have their upcoming late spring, early summer schedule that's, mm-hmm. I think, about to come. And they had a new Rose District mm-hmm. tour, and um, I really want to go on that. Yeah, that will so. be a lot of fun. Do you want to go with me? Of course I will. Okay, thanks. And of course they have their pub crawl. I know, and that's and so fun. I want to go on another one. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, so highly recommend that because I'm sure tickets will probably go I did watch a TikTok quickly. video. I don't know. I should have paid attention to who it was that um posted the video but it was like the best things I've done in Tulsa since I've been here for two weeks <laughs> and one of them was go to Empire Slice oh she, yeah they were like the pizza's delicious and the garlic knots and I wanted to be like and the ghost hello I'd like to go back there too me too my niece Eva who was on the show um they had their prom at Kane's Ballroom yes and I told her I was like okay keep your eyes and ears out for any spooks that might happen because it's supposed to be haunted and she's like really and i was like yeah i want to know you know like, <laughs> yeah. but i haven't heard from her so That's i guess nothing the happened story <laughs> on the street for sure well um, and we still want to do the tunnel tour i know we still need to do that i know well, i have to be like this summer sometime when um i don't have school because mm-hmm. now that the school year is like winding down everything is just it's going so fast. Yeah. So everything just is happening at once. Yeah. No, that always works out that way, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. All right. Well, are you ready to get started? Uh, yeah, because I've been thinking about this for a few days now, and I'm kind of annoyed with the way that you left me. <laughs> uh, well. On a cliff. I did. So this is part two of the Jake Hammond Sr. and the Clara Smith Hammond um murder case i guess we can call it i don't don't know what we want to call it (laughs) so let's do just a little quick recap from last week just so that we have a little refresher jake hammond was a lawyer entrepreneur oilman railroad owner sketchy politician on november 21st 1920 he was having dinner with some associates when he decided to go up to his lover slash assistant's hotel room and try and comfort her because they broke up and she was supposed to be leaving the next day. And they and broke up because he got a job in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. and he needed to be, quote, more legit. Yes, because his estranged wife was coming back from Chicago with their two children. Oh, and they were supposed to have be a happy little family. Right, I because imagine. if we remember, his wife was cousins with um, Florence Harding, the future First, first lady, lady. Yes. and yes, yes, yes. so when Hammond came back down the stairs into the dining room he collapsed and then it was made known he had a gunshot wound to the abdomen he went into surgery it looked like he was supposed to 
make a full recovery. Mm-hmm. Everything seemed to go well. However, on November 26, 1920, Hammond passed away from his injuries uh, due to dilation of his stomach, which was caused dilation of his heart. And so now, remember, before he died, he told the doctors and the authorities that he accidentally shot himself while he was cleaning his gun and we were at well what happened to clara okay so that's right that's where we left off did i miss anything i don't think so okay i mean he wasn't like the most stand-up guy no Oh, what did you call him again a richard noggin yes that's that's right (laughs) all right so as you can imagine before hammond succumbed to his wounds there was at least one person according to one source who definitely did not believe this whole um, I accidentally shot myself account that Hammond was But he spouting. that's what he said, though, right? He did. Okay. And that man was the county attorney for Carter County, Russell Brown. Okay. So within a day of the shooting, Brown charged Clara Hammond with assault with the intent to kill. He he brought those charges. He also filed charges against both Jake Hammond and Clara Hammond for the crime of immorality. Oh, oh, oh. So oh. it's really kind of unclear what actually prompted Brown to file these charges. Right. Yeah. But, I was gonna ask that. but the filing of the shooting charge against Clara, um, it had to have been based on just the very slimmest kind of hearsay evidence. Mm-hmm. And, however, the charge of immorality, I mean, the couple had this long-term relationship going on that was in no way a secret. It was very public. Right. And, I mean, Hammond flaunted that affair with no thought of anything. And it's... And so just now they're getting charged with that? Like, why? Well, I think it's thought that Brown may have added that charge for the simple fact for how it would play in the news headlines. Mm, mm. So. Well, that kind of, that sells newspapers. It does. Scandal sells newspapers. It really does. So because of the condition that Hammond was in after the incident, we'll call it the incident. Okay. For now. Um, Brown never attempted to serve a warrant on Hammond. And Clara was actually nowhere to be found. Oh. So Brown thought that she had probably taken the northbound Santa Fe train from Ardmore to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, to head to California. And I did mention in the last episode that she had written in her diary that that she was going to California. She wanted the fresh start and she was ready to start over after her breakup. So Brown had actually alerted the authorities Mm -hmm. at Guthrie and Ponca City just to make them aware. Mm -hmm. And Clara was never located. But however, this is what's crazy. However, her luggage did arrive in Kansas City the very next day. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it was it was soon very evident that even without a suspect in hand, mm-hmm. Brown had more than just a local case of interest. So right. he knew that this was going to be like national news. Oh, wow. Yeah. With all yeah. the people, the high uh, higher up people involved, you yeah. know. Well, especially if your cousin-in-law's with the president. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So the charges combined with the backstory of this sordid affair between Hammond and Clara, this became the perfect recipe for scandal and intrigue. Whoops, I hit that. 
And it created this like explosion of nationwide publicity. And this crazy mixture of attempted murder with money, sex, and national politics, like, it was the perfect mix for newspapers. Oh, yeah. All over the country, which, of course, um, many newspapers sent reporters to Ardmore to try and dig out the details (laughs) and, you know, figure out what actually transpired. Well, okay, so Jake Hammon died. Yes. And he was actually buried in Ardmore on November 29th, 1920. Uh, His funeral was attended by local and national business and political leaders. And this included a lot of like a big host of um, influential people who are pallbearers and honorary pallbearers. And because Hammond died from his wounds, Brown quickly amended that charge against Clara to murder. Even though her whereabouts remained a mystery. I, I, I'm wondering how he was able, and granted this was, you know, uh-huh. roughly 100 years ago, I mean less than 100 years ago, but 90 some odd years mm-hmm. ago. How did he warrant or how did he think that it was going to work when I'm assuming that, and this is, this is me assuming, so mm-hmm. I know what that makes me, but <laughs> um, here Jake comes down the stairs with this gunshot wound and he's saying he did it himself. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, the spouse is always the first one that you mm-hmm. would look at. Well, obviously his spouse wasn't Yeah, there she was yet. in Chicago. And so then you always are going to look at the jilted lover. Mm-hmm. And she was there. I get, yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. And yeah. I get that. But he came down saying it was himself. And so what made him think that he could proceed with this? Like, no, I'm going to charge her with this. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I didn't really include it, but I, I think that... I read he had talked to witnesses. Okay, okay. And so um, I think he had talked to the porter that had, um, well, we'll get into it, but he, like, brought a meal to her upstairs. Mm -hmm. And so I think he had kind of talked to witnesses who had, like, heard the arguments and kind of witnessed some of the things going on. And so um, because she was his lover Mm -hmm. and – I think uh, he he knew that they broke up specifically because he had to have his legit family. You know, um, I think he probably yeah. just had the suspicion she was this jilted lover okay. kind of thing. I mean, but I, I don't. I don't it know. Makes sense. It yeah. would definitely, and that would definitely be the first person you would look to. But when your victim is sitting there telling you that he did it himself i mean i I guess that would give me pause to be like well i mean he's saying he did it himself Mm -hmm. and i you know i'm sure they didn't have the forensics i'm sure for like you know gunshot residue yeah obviously but i mean she definitely had every reason in the book to do it because he or she had built a life with this man Mm -hmm. married his nephew just so she could have the name Mm -hmm. and here and watched him his you know, their whole relationship climbed these ladders and mm-hmm. become the successful person. And then when he gets to the very top, he just 
ditches her. Ditches her for the person that he has absolutely. I mean, I don't. I'm not gonna say that he absolutely has no feelings for her, but you know that he absolutely. Didn't I think care I, for and I don't think it was so much that he ditched her for his wife. I mean, in a sense, he did. Yeah, but it was more the fact because of this position he was face. going to be going right. into. He had to look like a respectable man, right? And so, as the I mean, I you know, and I get that she didn't like his wife like refused to give him the divorce, mm-hmm. and we all know that how difficult they were in that age, mm-hmm. and then you know, not that it would essentially tarnish the male's reputation right but her reputation you know his wife's reputation that would have definitely tarnished her reputation well i think it was still pretty taboo at that time right but also i honestly think that if she had gave him the divorce it wouldn't have affected her reputation at all because really? everybody kind of knew that he was this womanizer right oh well, yeah but anyway and we'll it sounds get- like she probably came from money herself so yeah i'm not 100 percent sure i don't i'm not sure if she came from money mm-hmm. but i i mean they she would have probably gotten a pretty settlement they that, were sure. yeah i mean uh, i don't think it was i don't think they were hurting yeah i mean i don't think his finance i don't think he was as wealthy as he made it out to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um because if you remember Clara had that, that head for business, and she was able to turn his finances that's around. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. So it's just. But we'll get more into it's, it. It's just so. I don't know. Yeah. We'll I'm get ready more to get more into, into it. Because you're kind of. Because I'm kind of like. Well, I feel like this could potentially. Like, I guess it, in my mind, it's just surprising that mm-hmm. this law enforcement officer. Well, he was a county attorney. Okay. So, he, so that he went. He that he was so told, skeptical. That he was so skeptical when I, I I feel like in this time period that most women like, well, he said that he did it himself, open closed. It is yeah, what it is. I, you know? I don't I don't know. Maybe he just you know he, he wanted a rat, didn't he? Well, either that or you know, it he it already said that he mentioned, you know, he brought all these charges like mm-hmm. the immor- immorality, I mean, it had been going on for 10 years, like you said. So why bring it up now? Well, for the headlines. So maybe this was part of the same thing. It was two birds, doing it one for stone, the maybe. headlines. Yeah, two birds, and... one stone. Because I was going to ask, too, do you think that this attorney had it out for Jake anyway? Or maybe he was looking for several reasons to, like, just start tarnishing his name. Uh, I don't know for sure, but, I mean... I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Jake wasn't okay. well liked. Yeah, yeah. Unless you were a CD politician and or Clara, and right, <laughs> and so. But I mean, we'll get we'll get way more okay. into okay. it. Okay, I'm sorry. Later. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. So where were we? Okay, oh, so her, they found her luggage. Uh, oh, her yeah. luggage showed up, and she well, did oh, it was Brown. Brown amended the the charge against Clara to murder, even though she couldn't be found. So, of course, rumors about the shooting were just running rampant. One story claimed that Hammond was the one that was drunk and on his bed when Clara entered his room and approached him. She then began to, like, stroke his hair with one hand while she shot him when he lay with the other. <laughs> oh, geez, and, you wow. Know, Hammond apparently disarmed Clara and walked himself to the hospital. Like, it was just, like, any rumor you could probably think of probably happened, you know? Um, we all know how rumors go. Right. Mm-hmm. So finding Clara, it's unknown 
uh, what kind of effort that the U.S. law enforcement actually put into finding Clara after Hammond died. What is known is that she was able to remain hidden until December 19th, 1920. Oh. So that is, that's... that's almost a month. Right. Law enforcement, law enforcement wasn't even the ones that actually found Clara. The person who did find her was a man by the name of Sam Blair, who just so happened to be a very resourceful reporter for the Chicago Herald Examiner. One source said that Blair was the one to use his smarts by retrieving Clara's diary from her luggage in Kansas City and then started publishing what she had written in it into the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So what I'm curious about is how is he able to get it so quickly? And then before the authorities did and why he thought that was a good idea to publish her diary when it should have been like police evidence. Right. That's yeah. And I think in this day and age, he could have been arrested for doing that. Sure. He? I mean, that, I, yes, for sure. I believe so for that. And I mean, that's mention, like tampering with evidence. Right. Not to mention that that entire diary would then become null and void in a, in a, in, court, in a case. court case. Yeah. And that could have blown the prosecution's entire case. So, yeah, I thought that was crazy. Wow. So, wow. of course, these articles that he was able to write and publish using her diary they were circulated nationwide well, yeah. by universal services. And it made Clara out to be this naive, romantic, and sympathetic young young woman who was led astray by this corrupt older man. And Blair probably realized that he had found, like, the story of all stories. <laughs> and this was, like, his golden goose. Right. It was, you know, this was his big payday. And... Blair suspected that Clara's parents probably knew where her whereabouts were. Or, you know. Usually, yeah. I and think so, too. Um, so they, her parents, along with her 19-year-old brother, were living in El Paso, Texas. Okay. So he decided to make his way down there and interview them. Oh. And after talking with them, though, Blair became um, convinced that the couple had no idea where she was at and however they did kind of indicate that she might have hightailed it to mexico so i don't know how i feel about him as an investigator right now well <laughs> I, just... I mean we're gonna definitely go into it a little bit more because i want your opinion on some things but i am very like i i will say i don't know what happened like i i don't know whether i believe her story of things or it's just very, there's a lot of holes for me, and but I'm a very skeptical person, right. too, so it's kind of like, I don't know. There's a lot of things to me that don't make sense, and so I'm anxious to hear your opinion about it, but we'll get there. So running on a tip, Blair and Clara's brother, James, crossed the border into Mexico, and they made their way south to Chihuahua City, and for several days, the two of them were making inquiries until James was actually approached by an anonymous person who said that he knew where Clara was and asked for a photograph of James. And so they provided this anonymous person with this photo. And a day later, James received a note that was actually intended for Blair. So this note was actually from Clara herself. And it said that she wanted to meet with Blair 
and tell her side of the story so that he could tell the world. And however, she just wasn't ready to return to Ardmore to face trial yet, though. (laughs) And so I wouldn't either. So Blair responded with a note of his own that was like, yeah, hey, let's meet, you know, not quite in those words, but he was all for getting together to get this meeting, to get this, um, this ultimate story. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Right. So allegedly, Blair and Clara met up in the Central Plaza in Chihuahua City. Clara was uh, accompanied by two, quote, distinguished-looking Mexican gentlemen, unquote, who Blair described as two of the most influential men in Mexico. How she met these men, I don't know if it was through Hammond. I don't know. It never said. Did they say I, who I, they were? No, it just okay. said influ- influential men. Okay. So Claire and her brother had this brief reunion where they hugged and, you know, whatnot. And she agreed to tell Blair her side of the story. So Blair and Clara walked into a park that was nearby, leaving the other people behind. And they sat on a park bench while Clara began to recount what had happened on the night of November 21st, 1920. So the story that she tells Blair... It would become the basis for her defense when she's on trial. And she also told Blair that she was ready to head back to Ardmore and that she had nothing to be scared of because why would a jury find her guilty after the story that she just told him? And so I find it a very convincing story. (laughs) Well, I find it interesting that one day she's like, I'm not ready to return. And now all of a sudden she is. Right. So I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. So there's a couple of things before we get into it. There's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind. Okay. And about this telling of what happened that night. It should be taken into consideration that Clara had several weeks to plan out and practice <laughs> what she would say about what happened that night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. can't be too surprised that she was so convincing right? Um, when telling Blair her story. And on the other hand, it may have been convincing because it could have been true. Right. We don't know. Right. Another compelling aspect of her story was that she was willing to tell the public her side of things mm-hmm. rather than stay silent on the matter. It made her seem like she had nothing to hide. And her side of things portrayed her as this poor, innocent shop girl that had been seduced by a rich, immoral, older man who controlled her and ultimately abused her. Now, for years and years and years and years, years. (laughs) whether Clara was guilty or not, um, she would stick with the story throughout the trial until the very end. Mm. So it's just... I don't know. I'm I'm just having a hard time 100% believing it. But not saying it's not true either. Right. Right. I mean it makes it definitely gives you pause. Yes. Because yeah. But we'll get into it. We'll get into lot, it. Yeah, there's a lot going, there's a lot more going on. All right. Than so you originally let on. Yeah. So are you ready to uh hear what Clara's story was? Yes, I'm ready. All right. So Clara said that um November 21st was supposed to be like the last day that the couple would be together before she left for California. She also claimed that the breakup was a mutual decision. Um, Jake Hammond needed to regain his uh, respectability back, which is why Mrs. Georgia Hammond was returning. 
if you remember when Warren Harding, after winning the presidential election, insisted Hammond bring his legitimate family Mm -hmm. to Washington, D.C. to leave Clara and Ardmore, especially since their wives were second cousins. So Clara told Blair that she both loved and hated Hammond, but but was also ready to move on with her life. According to Clara, she and Hammond were supposed to spend the day together since it would be their last. However, Hammond had several political acquaintances in town and ended up going back and forth between the hotel and his office, which was just across the street. And Clara claimed that each time that he returned back to the hotel, he appeared more and more intoxicated every time he returned. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, this behavior wasn't unusual for Hammond and that he drank quite often, but was usually able to like hold his liquor. Mm-hmm. So around six o'clock that evening, Claire and Hammond were on the veranda of the hotel and like all of a sudden this um, like ugly argument kind of mm-hmm. broke out. And I guess Hammond was yelling at Clara and at one point during the the argument he like threw her into a chair and she then like begged him to uh, not make a scene and where he then just again returned back to his office so okay (laughs) like I said there's a lot of things I'm just like I don't anyway so Clara said that being so upset With Hammond's bad mood and his violent behavior, she decided to leave the hotel and um, go out for a long drive in her car. So when she got back from this drive, she decided to stay in her room until Hammond sobered up. Mm -hmm. They They were in connecting rooms. So he was in like room 28 or room 29 and she was in the other and there was like a connecting door. Okay. To the, to the both rooms, to both of the rooms. And when she got up there, Clara locked the door that connected their two rooms. So she locked up, she locked that one. And then she also locked her room that, um, the door that led out to the hallway. Okay. 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 So at some point, I don't, it didn't really say what time she heard Hammond come back into his room and he had begun ranting and raving at her. And he wanted to be let into the room, but she refused to let him in. So then Clara then orders room service, orders dinner, and... Which boyfriend's going crazy. He's going Right, right. And so when the porter came up to deliver her meal, (laughs) Hammond then forced his way in. Right, right, Into her room. And then Clara said... Imagine that. Well, and then... So then Clara said that to... um, she saw that an ugly argument was probably about to ensue. And so she then asked the porter to leave the room because this ugly argument was probably about to happen. Hmm. Clara said that by this point, Hammond was in a drunken stupor. Remember that he was in a drunken stupor and he threw himself onto the bed. So while he was laying sprawled out on the bed, she took the precaution of getting this um, small pocket knife that he kept on his person on it, like on like a chain. Uh-huh. She took it upon herself to remove that 
and then she hid it under a newspaper that was on the nightstand. Okay? Mm-hmm. So Hammond all of a sudden then sits up and he's like, he begins demanding, like, Clara, you know, who were you driving around with? Um, he accused her that she was driving around with somebody else and all all evening and she tells him oh, like no i was alone but he doesn't believe her and he begins to like work himself up into this like blind rage so clara described his behavior to to blair as follows quote crazy is the word the way his eyes were glowing his lips twitching his fingers clenching i have a question sure did they have problems like this prior to him having to make the choice to leave her and get back with his wife? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. It never really it never really said. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think she may have claimed that he was abusive after he had died. Mhm. Okay. But I okay. I'm not really sure. Okay. I was just wondering. Yeah. No. Legit question. So Clara said that Hammond then attacked her and he grabbed her first by the throat and started to choke her. Mm-hmm. And then he began to torture her by bending her fingers back and twisting ooh, her wrists until the, skin, oh. until the skin on her forearms was torn and bloody. What? Yeah, like he was twisting her wrist until it was like torn and bloody oh, apparently. Ow! So the force that would be required to do that. Like I said, I've got questions. Granted, he was intoxicated, so I know sometimes they have, like, weird superhuman forces, but... Oh. At this point, she stopped her story to Blair to show him the bruises that still lingered on her neck and on her, um, and the marks that were on her arms that oh. she claimed was from Hammond's attack. Now, remember, this is, like, a month later, after the fact. Oh, I... Okay. Okay. She also told Blair, I don't mean to, like, laugh. I'm just, I don't know how to react, I guess. She also told Blair that at one point, Hammond lit a cigar. And this is what he said to her after he did it. Quote, I would as easily slit your throat as draw on this cigar. And he apparently said this to her. And then he then reached for that pocket knife that he had. Mm -hmm. But then realized it was was missing. She then said that his face was, like, set into this horrible way, and he had his arms outstretched with his fingers, like, clutching the air grotesquely is how they described it. Like, he was going to lunge for her, and this made her instinctively grab for the gun that was... Just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it made her instinctively grab for this gun, which she claimed Hammond had bought for her, and it was apparently in a handbag on the windowsill. So Clara said that she turned the gun on Hammond and had like motioned him towards the door, like leave. Yeah. Which it seemed like once he saw it, he was complying and he had started to like back out towards the door like he was going to leave Mm -hmm. but then when he got close to the door he turned the lights off and then was able to grab a chair which he swung over his head drunk and then down on clara okay and he's inebriated yes okay this is when the gun allegedly went off and 
even though Clara claims that she never once pulled the trigger and that Hammond was shot, uh, you know, he was shot in the stomach. Mm -hmm. So Clara said that Hammond responded by shouting, Clara, you hit me. You've hit me. She screamed in return. Oh, I didn't. You know, I didn't. You know, I never could have done it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. That's what she said to Blair. So Blair pins this story exactly how Clara told it. Hmm. He also kind of added an overdramatic <laughs> flair, <laughs> referring to Hammond as a, quote, pudgy masher. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm going to Google that really fast. Um, <laughs> he also described how Clara, like, sobbed and cried at all the appropriate times. This story hit the next day after his meeting with Clara. So he met with her, and then the next day, it was in the papers. The story circulated nationally and hit the front page of the Daily Oklahoman. Uh, Clara claimed that she had offered to call for a doctor for Hammond, but he was determined to walk himself to the hospital. Neither Clara or Hammond believed that the wound was fatal. He got shot in the stomach. We all know how fatal that can be. Right, right. She apparently spent a sleepless night suffering from her injuries and from worrying about Hammond. I find it interesting how she's like, I suffered a sleepless night thinking about my own injuries and then worrying about the guy I shot. (laughs) Anyway, she said she went to the hospital the next morning and at first the doctor refused to let her even see Hammond. But Hammond wanted to talk to Clara and so the doctor then permitted her to, to see him. If Clara's story wasn't already a little kooky, Hammond apparently told Clara, which I find this interesting that she remembered word for word a month later. Oh, I found out what it means. What is it? It is a man who makes advances, especially to women he does not know with the view of physical intimacy. Hmm. Well, I mean, he definitely knew Clara. Right. That's what I remember. Yeah. I'm like, mm, for 10 well, years. Actually, they kind of have it's like kind a- of the opposite. Um, if Clara's story wasn't already a little kooky, right? Hammond <laughs> apparently told Clara, I just, I don't know. Quote, are you ready? Oh, am I ever? Clara, I am going to die. Oh, God. there isn't a chance in the world of my getting over this. You did right, Clara. You should have done it before. You did right. And remember this. I'm going to tell the world that I did it myself. Accidentally. <laughs> I mean, this was in the paper. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Hammond also apparently told Clara to to get out of town, that he had made arrangements for Frank Ketch, which I think was an attorney for him or something like that, made arrangements with Ketch to give her $5,000 to help her leave. And she apparently offered to stay by his side, but Hammond insisted that she leave. Because he knew his wife was on the way. (laughs) So at first when she escaped, she didn't initially feel like she was in any kind of trouble. This is what she, she told Blair. But by the time that she reached El Paso, she then realized that she was in fact being hunted, is how she put it. And she went on to Mexico. This far in her story... It was made up of, you know, this love and self-defense kind of air to it. Right. But she told Blair, this is what she told Blair, quote, the bullet which killed him should have been fired 10 years ago. 
She also told Blair that several bigwig men in Oklahoma had advised her much earlier to kill Hammond, but she just hadn't. Why would you say that if you're innocent? Right. Right. I mean, because it sounded like legitimate when she originally thought she wasn't in any trouble because if you truly believed that he was going to tell the world that he did it himself, then of course she wouldn't have been in any, in any trouble. Or if in fact she really hadn't mm-hmm. done anything and he really had done it himself, then she wouldn't think she was in any trouble. She would have just car- carried out her plans like normal. But well, I now wanna, you're starting to look Well, I want to kind of talk about some of these things real quick. Here are some things that I found in her story that I was just kind of like, mm. and I'm curious to know if you felt the same way. But if things, if if she was so scared enough to lock herself in her room, right? Mm. When the porter wrong. came with her dinner, why did she have him leave? Right, exactly. Like, why would you have had the porter? Furthermore, if you were so scared that you locked your doors. So that he wouldn't come in. Why would you have ordered food in the first place? Right. Because, I mean, even I knew by the second you said, well, she ordered food. Well, now we all know he's going to force his way in because you're going to open the door to get the food. And guess who's going to be standing Well, because there? in my mind, even if she had ordered the food, he, the porter, if, if she heard him ranting and raving. Right. She could have had the porter leave it outside. Right. And or so she could have he, had the porter go and get management management, or a police police officer. officer. Yeah. So remember, she also claimed that he was in this drunken stupor. Exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like alert and he pops up out of the bed and he's like so angry. And then you're telling me that he also had the wherewithal to turn the lights off, grab a chair and chunk it at her. Especially, yeah, swing a chair. If, if he's... If he is so drunk. A, yeah, if he's so drunk, then how... How is he... I mean, I would imagine that if he were at that point of inebriation and he laid down for just a moment, he would have been out. Yeah, I mean, if he was in such a stupor... Right. I don't know. Like... Those are the questions and if that you, I you, have. And wasn't she at one point you said that she was like caressing him and telling him like, well, one oh, of the, it'll be okay. One of the rumors was that she, when he laid down, that she yeah. started like stroking his hair or his head or something. Well, I feel like if he was that and inebriated. And then with one hand right. and then she shot him with the other. I just but, feel like if he was that inebriated, he would have just passed out. I know. And like, I'm not trying to sound like. I just 100% flat out don't believe her. It's right. just I find a lot of these things kind of contradict what things she did are say. adding up. Right. And so, I mean, obviously, I don't know what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually knows what happened right. except for those two people. But uh, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so returning to Oklahoma. Okay. Clara asked Blair if the Herald Examiner, the paper that he wrote for, mm-hmm. could arrange for her surrender and her return to Oklahoma. She told him that he, um, she didn't want to surrender to some unknown lawman who might want to, like, go and parade her around town um, before the press to, to um, take advantage of her notoriety or worse, her hold her in Mexico or, or Texas. So uh, Blair agreed, and he was able to make legal arrangements so that Clara could return to Ardmore. And then she was then placed 
in the custody of the United States consulate who made arrangements with um, the Mexican government for Clara to cross the border at Juarez. Oh my gosh. So a group of 40 Ardmore businessmen that worked for the law firm of Coakley and Mathers was set to represent Clara. 40 men. <laughs> Is that not crazy? What are the 40 <laughs> men in charge of? Don't know. Clara had about a 12-hour train ride from Juarez to Ardmore. And let me tell you, she used this time well in the in the sense that she basically told Blair, like, her whole life story. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, he, like, he believes her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she often referred to Hammond as, quote, a masterful man who always got his way. She said that he pursued her relentlessly from the very first time they met, offering to buy her all the furs in the yeah. store. And uh, um, it's a store that she actually worked at. She was like this clerk or shop That's girl, right. whatever That's they where, called. Right. So he often tried to talk her into going to his office when he he would go into the store. And I guess she finally gave in at one point And he further impressed her by taking her for a car ride in his, well, what else would it be? A car. Um, <laughs> took her for a car ride, which you have to think in 1910 in Lawton, Oklahoma, they were very few and far between. Right. And so, you know, this was like a real special treat, like a luxury, you know. Yeah. And she described Hammond as a man who could be sweet and loving one minute and then cruel and hateful the next. And mm. however, he was always uh, domineering is what right. she said. She let it be known how important she was to Hammond. Like, I guess she was just like, I did this for him and I did that for him. She said that um, his success he had was because of her, which it was. But, I mean, she's, you know, he depended on her. He would always see. Okay, this is what she said. (laughs) She said he would always go out and seek other women. But in the end, he always came back to her. And mm. in my mind, I'm like, why would you want to stay with someone mm-hmm. like that? Right. But that's just me. That's not my cup of tea. She also told Blair that Hammond, quote, played a dirty money peddling game. She, I mean, she obviously knew him well because, I mean, he did. Right. All no, the yeah. things that we talked about in the last episode. <sighs> Clara divulged another reason to Blair on why she was so willing to return to Ardmore to face trial. And Hammond's will. Oh, no. Oh, he, no. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. He left one fourth of his estate, which some people estimated to have been about $14 million back in 1920. I didn't calculate what that would be now, but back then, $14 million. So if she was not found guilty, she could very well become a very rich woman. Right. So the trial. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. For several days before the trial even actually started, reporters were just flooding into Ardmore. The trial wasn't just being covered locally or nationally, but there were um, international reporters as far as France and England who were also there. The trial began on Thursday, March 10th of 1921, and It was no surprise that the courtroom was just packed and filled beyond capacity with both reporters and spectators. Clara's mother, her sister, and her two brothers were there to support her. 
And Clara was actually dressed very conservatively, and she wore this wide-brimmed hat. (laughs) And on the other hand, Georgia Hammond, who was still dressed in mourning black, um, she was there with her 11-year-old daughter, Olive Bell, and her 18-year-old son, Jake Hammond Jr. The attorney general, S.P. Freeling, was the prosecutor. Freeling agreed that it would be almost impossible to find jurors who had not heard anything about the case. Yeah, I'm sure. And or read her diary. Right. Yeah. Right. And said that he wouldn't object to any juror on those grounds Mm -hmm. as long as the juror had no preconceived um, opinion of guilty or not guilty. So by the end of the day, a jury of 12 men had been selected because at this time, women not being legally authorized to serve as jurors didn't happen until 1951. And also, there were no people of color on this jury as well. So one juror was unmarried. One juror had no children. Ten jurors were family men that had anywhere between one to ten children (laughs) each. And their ages ranged from 33 years old to 73 years old. So six jurors were like dairymen or farmers. Mm -hmm. The rest included three merchants. And there was a barber, a banker, and the owner of a carriage works. I was ready for you to say candlestick maker. (laughs) Also, by the way, $14 million in 1920. Uh Uh-huh. Over $211 million today. That's a lot of money. Yep. She would have been a very rich woman. More money than I could ever spend. Oh, yeah. I could try to spend it. Yeah. So in the opening statement, Freeling said that Hammond had feared going to the hotel that night that he was murdered, knowing full well that Clara had carried a gun for years. And didn't this- he buy it for her? Was, didn't you say well, remember, earlier? she took a little shopping trip to Oklahoma City where she bought a twenty-five caliber pistol. And that was what was used to shoot and ultimately kill him. This held to the account that Hammond had returned to his room and taken to his bed and Clara had, had shot him. So Freeling then claimed that Clara then left the room about half past ten, went downstairs and calmly told a person at the hotel that Hammond had not been shot and that nothing was wrong. In the state's account, Clara later admitted that she would have shot Hammond with an old gun if she had known it would have been more likely to cause death. What? She didn't think... What? She didn't think shooting somebody could cause their death? I, I, I don't know what shooting a person with a new gun or an old gun would... Uh, you know, anyway. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. So this timeline that the state portrayed also had Clara telling a taxi driver on her way out of town that the man she had shot was not dead yet, but she hoped he would die. Oh, gosh. So freely <laughs> talking to everybody, girl. I, I know. It's just, uh, I don't know. So I, I'm glad you're dumb, but at the same token. Well, gosh. and then it's like, did she really say these things to these oh, people? That's true. Or, that's like, true. You know, I, it's, I don't know. So Freeling declared in a shocking new piece of information that Clara had tried to kill Hammond twice before. What? The fatal shooting actually happened on the 21st of November. So prior to the start of the testimony, because of the perceived immoral nature Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of some of the evidence um, that was to be heard, the judge had restricted anyone younger than 16 years of age from being in the courtroom. So that meant that Olive Bell, the youngest 
child of Haman. She wasn't allowed to be there. Who was 11. Yep. Was spared from hearing anything about her father's affair with Clara and any of like the gory details about his death. Which I I don't think she should have been there for that. I don't anyway. think she should have either. She probably knew that her dad wasn't this upstanding guy because obviously he, he wasn't around. He wasn't around. I, I, I doubt they saw him. I'm sure her mother probably didn't paint the prettiest picture. Of oh, you know, either. she probably didn't. So during the trial, the state entered into evidence letters written by Clara to Jake Hammond. Oh, the letters painted a picture oh, of the confused thoughts of a young woman and reflected the mixed emotions of love, guilt, jealousy, and fear that the affair had generated in Clara. And the letters also contained veiled threats as to the links that Clara might go to if Hammond did not leave his wife. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So the letters offered by the prosecution, it showed premeditation. Absolutely. So on the defense side, they brought in a couple of nurses that had tended to Hammond during his last days. And they testified that they never actually heard Hammond tell anyone that Clara had been the one who shot him. And the defense played up Clara's testimony and the story that she gave to Sam Blair, you know, who reported the in the paper. Right, right. They made Hammond out to be this sleazy older man, which he kind of was, <laughs> um, preying on this young, much. yeah, who was like preying on this young girl who was said to be 16 at the time when Clara met him. Right. And, but during cross-examination, the prosecutors reportedly pointed out that Clara was now 29 years old, something that was confirmed by a couple of witnesses. So Clara had often said that she had met, met Jake when she was almost 17 years of age. However, if she was 29 at the time of the trial, she would had to have been 19, 19 when they met. And under the prosecution's theory, a more mature woman and not a child, one who knew just what she was doing, entering into a relationship with an older man. So, I mean... I don't know that I, I was much more mature between 19 and 16. I mean, I see where they were trying right, to go. Right, But... Different, different era. Different, different era. era. But, uh, you know. I know. Right. Yeah. Oh, that... That was a reach prosecution. That's a reach, I feel I do like. think it was a reach. That was a reach. But on a slim level, she would have been a little bit more mature. A little bit. A little bit, right. But right. she still could have been naive. It's a small town She Oklahoma. was probably of marrying. I mean, she wasn't probably. She was definitely of marrying age. Well, especially back at that time, yeah. So, but. It was reaching. Re- yeah. To, to assume that she would have been much more mature. Than- yeah. I can assure you that I probably wasn't much more mature (laughs) at 19 versus 16. Yeah. One source called Clara's own testimony, pure theater. She was dressed modestly and spent more than four hours on the stand being questioned by the defense and being cross-examined by the prosecution. So while on the stand, she talked about her own life story. She gave many details surrounding the night Hammond was shot her testimony, her testimony was almost word for word, the story that she had told to Sam Blair. So when Claire described Hammond's behavior the night of the shooting, she said he was, quote, drunker 
crazier than all in the years I had known him. Again, if he was so drunk, how would, I mean, how would that even compute? Like, I, yeah. I feel like, okay, I'm just going to say this because it bothers me so much. If he had turned the lights off while drunk as a skunk, grabbed a chair over his head, I would feel if he was so drunk, grabbing that chair would have made him <laughs> off balance over. and falling right. over. Yes, I agree. I agree. And this is speaking from someone who has balance issues already. And I. This is true. I can attest to it. I, and that's without liquor. Right. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, I digress. I, so, and okay, so she restated how he had choked her, tortured her, thrown her to the floor. He then kicked her oh my gosh. and then attacked her again one last time, forcing her to pull the gun from her purse in self-defense. I'm not saying that an altercation didn't happen. Uh, it very because well. Because she obviously had marks to prove that something had happened. Right. But... So this is what she says. Quote, I held the gun on him. When I unlocked the door, I had to let him out of my sight. That instant, he turned off the light and raised the chair to strike me. He did strike me with that chair and the gun went off. I didn't mean to shoot him. So there there are several things that she has said that contradict what she told Blair. Right. Exactly. And anyway, or even that she originally said, because originally she didn't do anything. Right. So. Right. So the next day, (laughs) the prosecution called several rebuttal witnesses. And after those testimonies were done, the um, judge champion instructed the jury on the charge of murder and the lesser charges of first first and second degree manslaughter charges. And the judge reminded the jurors that killing someone was lawful if it occurred by accident. Right. Um, okay. Or in self-defense or when right. someone right. is the victim of a murder attempt mm-hmm. or a felony. Reaching a verdict took slightly longer than the two minutes that everyone <laughs> thought that um, had predicted. That they thought it was oh. going to be like a super oh, fast right, right, right. Um, verdict. So after only, I mean, it still was really fast. After only just 39 minutes of deliberation, the jury returned. What do you think, Dave? Ah, this is hard. I don't know, because I've been thinking about this a long time, and I I don't know. Like, honestly, I believe some sort of altercation happened. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe, I I believe that he attempted to harm her Mm -hmm. in a way, because there was evidence of that. Mm -hmm. Do I believe that she accidentally shot him? No, I believe she fully intended to shoot him. I, I, I 100% believe that she did it because she was, she was, she was the jilted lover Mm -hmm. and he's in this drunken rage and he's probably saying foul things to her. Uh And I believe that she saw her opportunity. So do you think the jury found her guilty or not guilty? 39 minutes. I bet they found her guilty. The jury returned a not guilty verdict. Well, I'm gobsmacked. (laughs) It was said that Mrs. Georgia Hammond was not present for the reading of the verdict having been warned away by friends who had anticipated the outcome was going to be a not guilty verdict so what so what happened after 
Clara was free. (laughs) She had sold her jewelry to pay for her legal team. They called it her legal dream team. (laughs) I thought that was funny. (laughs) And anyway, so now she now that she was cleared from the charge of murder, she needed to have a way to make an income. Well, yeah, because now her sugar daddy be gone. Well, and she also now needed to clean up her image. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... Now, I'm not saying this didn't happen. I don't Uh-oh. don't know the woman. One source said that she made her way to the local Baptist church, admitting and repenting of her sins, um, and then accepting Jesus as her savior, which she was then baptized. Uh, she also made an appearance at a woman's meeting at another Ardmore church where she recited an inspirational poem and then she also talked publicly of making a speaking tour where she would warn young girls against pursuing a life of sin. But I don't think that ever actually happened. She just talked about doing it publicly. <laughs> and, of course, with oh, no. with all of this sordid affairs and killings and murder, Hollywood came <laughs> calling. Oh, man. With such notoriety and how compelling her life story was, the idea of a film about Clara's life with Clara playing herself... What? No, no, no. ...was met with various reactions. Wow. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Hollywood came calling because... I mean, in all all honestly, in all It's right up there, Allie. This is... Yeah. Like, it's it's hard... It's hard for me to imagine that this was not some sort of script or... Right. So... But for her playing herself... Yeah. Yeah. She, so, did she meet Henry Starr? You know, because he played himself. <laughs> Wouldn't that be movie. something? So here's a little kooky fact. Given the state of movie censorship during that time, <laughs> it wasn't too much of a surprise that the idea of such a film was rejected <laughs> by several large movie distributors. Wow. All of whom worried about the immorality of her story and the idea of Clara profiting from the shooting. And this was mainly from um, the Oklahoma Theater Managers and Owners Association, which said that the viewers would only be attracted to such a film only through, quote, sheer morbid curiosity. And it also declared that members, that its members would refuse to show any films in which Clara, quote, was a featured player. So her career in Hollywood began and ended in the same day. Well, that was Oklahoma. Oh, 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 okay. Oklahoma. Okay, okay. However, Hollywood oh. <laughs> had zero hang-ups about any of that. And they said, sign here. Right. And Clara quickly signed a contract to star in a movie based on her life story. So before she could leave, however, there remember there was that little claim on Hammond's estate that it needed to be dealt with. That, Over $14 million. Uh-huh. So there was much like back and forth between her lawyer and Georgia Hammond's lawyer, who was that Frank Kitch. Mm-hmm. And Kitch claimed that there was no such will, like it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And that Mrs. Georgia Hammond, along with their two children, were the sole heirs of Jake Hammond's estate. So apparently, Kitch played Clara a lump sum of $10,000 in cash, along with some oil royalties. And then this left her free to go make on her way her, to California. On her merry way. Yeah. So there's no telling if there was a will or if there wasn't. Like, it's, you know, 
So. If she took the $10,000. She took the $10,000. Then there probably wasn't, I would say. Because if there really was, then I... $10,000 versus $14 million, you're fighting for Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So one source said that Walter Hammond, remember, that was her... Oh, yeah, that was her her husband. husband. That was her husband. Um, Divorced her before her trial began. But another source said that the two divorced pretty quickly after getting married in 1917. So... Either way, it's, it's she, good. I, I I had forgotten about him. It's good to know that he. Either way, she was divorced from her first husband. So once she gets to Hollywood, she actually marries a man by the name of John Gorman, who was the director of the film Fate, which is the movie that's based on her life. Oh. The couple married in 1921 and then divorced in 1924. Ouch. In 1932. Clara married a Charles Diggs, director of the Los Angeles County Regional Planning Commission. And Clara never appeared in another film after this and pretty much stayed out of the press. Good for and her. throughout this, the couple um, stayed together up until her death in San Diego in 1962. Okay. So... That, my friends, is the crazy Ooh. story of Jake Hammond Sr. and wow. Clara Smith Hammond. Well done. Well done. Yes. So I, like I said, I have, wow. I'm not really sure what to believe. I think there was truth on both sides. Oh, uh, yeah. And, I mean, obviously he wasn't the most upstanding guy. But, I mean, they did call her a woman scorned. Right. Right. So... You know, I don't know if it was a jilted lover thing or... I think it's a combination of both, I, I I do think there's a combination of factors, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think so. so, for sure. I think there's a little bit of truth in both of their mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. So, um, so. I'm sorry that was so long. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was... Wow, I mean, just that was a true roller coaster right there, up and down. You just never knew what I mean, it had everything. Get. It really did. You just <laughs> never knew what y'all was going to get. That's true. So... so. Anyway. Oh, good. Read you a little <laughs> bit of history next. I know. A history story, though, too. So, yeah. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always reach out to us at CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com. We would love for you to rate and follow our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform or streaming platform, including Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, and all the others. <laughs> all the things. All the things, exactly. And of course, of course, of course, please follow us on our socials at Curious Cousins OK on Instagram, at Curious Cousins OK Podcast on Facebook, and at Curious Cousins OK on Twitter. But remember, Cousins is spelled C U Z N S. And we'll be back with you next week and don't forget if you are an artist or have any know somebody hit us up we're still looking right so even though we have a person that's doing something we still would love to see everyone else's stuff too so. so yeah and check us out there and our socials email us tell us what you want just say <laughs> hi we like it when people say hi that, i do i just stole that from aaron mankey but um, yeah, we like it when people do say hi and reach out to us. We and, do. Um, anything else? I think that's it. All right. Well, just tell them what to keep it. Keep it cookie and spooky. Bye. Bye.